Hi, I'm Marcus, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can too by visiting patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners to the backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm done doing that now. <laughs> I'm okay. John. Joining me Thank as God. always, my illustrious co-host, George. How's it going, everybody? And Mo is here. Hey, everybody. In this episode, we have picked the Gen X Grown Up Top 10 Horror Films of the 1970s. That's One right. One concise, definitive list that we arrived at together and without I dare argument. anybody to Pure give consensus. us, tell us how we're wrong. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. <laughs> Emails are already coming in right now. <laughs> we'll have those arguments amongst ourselves, quite frankly. But yes, yeah, probably. We'll talk about how how we arrived there. But first, let's talk about some business we have to cover. We are in the midst of our fourth quarter 2019 listener drive. If you don't already know what's happening, we are looking for your help to drive new ears to the Gen X Grown Up podcast. We always ask you to tell your friends about us. But during the fourth quarter, if you recommend the podcast to someone else who doesn't listen and have them email us at podcast at genxgrownup.com, we're going to keep score of how many people you've recruited and the winner will get to pick their very own topic for a backtrack in the new year. Mm. I still I still think this is a bad idea. Somebody's going to make us redo this list. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> going to make us do this again. You must redo the 70s yeah, horror. like, no, all your top tens were terrible. You've got to redo it, and you can't use any of the ones you already used. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn. Thanks for putting that idea out there, George. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way to plant that seed. Appreciate it. <laughs> but you get to be the boss. If you always wanted us to do a backtrack about that horrible Garbage Pail Kids movie or talk for 45 minutes about slap bracelets or the solo career of John Oates. I mean, whatever it is that you are passionate about. <laughs> was there a solo career for John Oates? It well, we'll find not, out if the winner memorable. chooses that for his backtrack topic, won't we? Wow. All you got to do is recommend us to a friend. Have them hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. As I mentioned, we have the rest of 2019 to go. We'll keep reminding you in the podcast and uh, George is really looking forward to finding out what we're going to be covering. Yeah, I sure am. (laughs) Speaking of fourth listeners that we're trying to recruit, we have an email from a fourth listener and this time it's our friend and patron, Chad, who wrote in. Hey, Chad. The subject line of Chad's email was dead brands, referring to the backtrack we did not too long ago. Chad writes in and says, so I had a couple of others to suggest. Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. Did you guys ever have those? Nope. Not me. I didn't know. He says, my cousins and I had many a birthday parties there. It was very similar to the ice cream parlor in Bill and Ted's adventure that had the Ziggy Piggy. Remember oh. that? I remember that. Oh, okay. Very well. Ziggy Piggy. Now I feel Ziggy bad that we Piggy. When Napoleon Bonaparte had the giant <laughs> yeah. bowl of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the last one in California just closed this past June. So no more Farrell's oh. ice cream. There was a store called Best here. I'm not sure if it was a national chain or not. He actually sent a picture that I'll give to you, Mo. The side of the building looks like it's kind of like Art Deco 
and kind Actually, of leaning. I know about Best because uh, when I was in college studying architecture, every one of their buildings had like a extremely weird and unique design. That's right. And Chad hmm. said, I remember seeing it for the first time when I was a kid and thinking it was going to fall on me. Yeah. Just the, the shape of the storefront is so bizarre. Is it like uh, Fry's Electronics or something? They have each store has its own theme kind of thing, I guess? Uh, no, it's just it's just they like funky looking buildings. Like huh. weird architecture. Yeah, it's yeah. not a standard storefront. Yeah, the one he sent literally looks like the wall is about to fall off. So I, I get where he's coming from. He also suggested how about Ben Franklin Five and Dime? I remember Ben Franklin. Yeah. Yeah, that does I sound familiar now. Don't, but okay. Yeah, just goes to show you more of those brands we thought would be around and uh, not anymore. It probably wasn't a New York thing. Five and, you know, Ben Franklin didn't make it up into the Manhattan region for you, Mo. <laughs> and then he kind of turns toward George. You mentioned your Uh-oh. Saturn. You remember we talked mm-hmm. about in the dead brands. Yeah. He said, a quick note, my first car I ever bought was a Saturn as well. I hated that car. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> he says, my horn stopped working in the first year and then other stuff soon followed. I took my car in for repairs too many times. Wound up getting a different car that I drove until it wouldn't go anymore. And then I remember I brought it in. The girl that was selling it to me promised me a free year of oil changes and car washes. Pretty good deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Back yeah. then, yeah, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. So when I took it in for the first oil change, I found out that she had been let go and that was no longer a valid deal. Oh, wow. crappy. <laughs> Get it in writing, Chad. Get it in I writing. Yes. So apparently he got those Saturn dealership that didn't live up to my expectations because that no, sounds horrible. No, that's a very, I've not heard many Saturn horror stories. So yeah, that surprises me, but I'm sorry you had that experience, Chad. But we are glad that you have the experience of writing in and having your email read here on the show. We love it every time the fourth listener takes time out of their day to email us at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Hit us up there and we'll put your email in the hopper as well. Brace yourself. It is now time to dig into Gen X Grown Up's Ooh. top 10 horror films of the 1970s right after this. Thanks for coming and making Odeon your first choice. Fourth listener, we know that you guys always enjoy when we do our top 10 list. This time, a little bit different, as we mentioned. It's not each of us doing a top 10 list. All three of us got together. We listed every horror movie we could find of the 1970s of any note, of any merit at all. We created a spreadsheet. We were then each allotted 60 points to place on any of those films that we like. We could put 60 on one film, or we could put 20 on three films, or we could scatter it however we want. But we summed up the scores, and we arrived at a definitive top 10 horror movies of the 1970s. And there was some jockeying, guys. I saw a lot of yeah. numbers switching around at the last oh, minute yeah. as people were <laughs> moving their numbers up and down and sliding the beans in the different buckets. That's why we had to have that deadline on it because it was like trying to snipe a bid on eBay. You know, it was like it was, it oh, was wait, like that. I, I did feel like that. Points on this movie just to get it on the list. What can I rob points off of to move up there? <laughs> or this one is lost, so let's can just get rid of that altogether. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we have our top ten. We're going to run through. We also have a few honorable mentions. Without further ado, though, George, why don't you kick it off with our number 10 top horror film of the 1970s. Jaws, of course. Nicely done, Peter Benchley. Very nice. I know, right? There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. 
You cannot have a top 10 horror list of films from the 1970s without having Jaws from 1975 on the list. I mean, I'm going to give everybody just a brief synopsis, although I can't imagine there's an American film goer out there who doesn't know the premise of Jaws. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt down the beast. Yep. I mean, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, you know, Roy Scheidner, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, the trilogy. Jaws was kind of the film that single-handedly created the summer blockbuster film. Like before Jaws, that wasn't a thing. You just released films when you released films. But this had so much hype behind it. And we mentioned at the top of the show that we each had 60 points to divvy up. So we thought it would be fun if we shared with the audience exactly how we divvied up those points on the ones whose fault is it that this is on the list? Whose fault? Who should have added points? So in this case, Mo, you added exactly zero points for Jaws. Yes, yes. And I I totally agree with you. I also added zero (laughs) points to Jaws. You're both wrong. Both wrong. The only person who added any points to it, he gave twelve of his sixty points. Yes, I did. One twenty percent of his points to make sure it got on the list. So Jaws was at risk of not making the list because you guys were idiots. Points on there, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to save my points for something else later on down the list. So that's why I didn't add any points to Jaws. Mo, did you have a similar thought or what? No, actually, I didn't add to the list because I never really considered Jaws to be a horror movie. Oh, okay. You're wrong. You're incorrect. I'm sorry, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that debate, but if it's not a horror film, what would you consider it? I mean, there's thriller. thriller. Yeah, I mean, there's it's there's Uh, a monster that's he disappears unexpectedly. There's jump scares. It's, I, I'm with Mo that I don't know that it's a pure horror, but I don't think I go thriller either on it. It's suspense horror, maybe? I don't know. It's almost like in the same vein yeah. as one of the movies that's going to be on our list later on, because you don't really see the monster for the largest part of the film. It's just little flyby, swimbys, whatever you want to call them, until yeah, some of the very last scenes. No, and, I said, and as a movie, I love the movie. I mean, I think the movie is amazing. Right, yeah. There's no argument about that at all. But again, I just when I think heart and this is as a personal thing I know when I think horror I think there has to be like some sort of weird supernatural some there has to be something like that involved you know this almost seemed like this could actually happen sort of so horror the killer shark is not scary enough the for killer Mo. shark seeking <laughs> revenge on a beach doesn't give you that but he wasn't you know, really weird. seeking revenge he was just hungry he was chasing <laughs> that boat down forever Are he, you he me? was relentless he was like Terminator he does not stop he right. was yeah, just, exactly. he was really hungry <laughs> he was just that hungry but he could have right. gone somewhere else to eat he he just well, he apparently there. liked people. I don't know. <laughs> oh, but it was a great movie. It was, and I could, I don't argue with the fact that it's on the list at all. It's just it not, has earned not its spot as 10. number ten on our list. Uh, you guys, you know, a bit of trivia. You guys know that it was plagued with production problems. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, you, the shark especially was just always not working. They had trouble. You guys well, know the name it, right? of the mechanical shark? I think most everyone does by this point. Name of the name of the shark? Yeah, yeah, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce the yep. shark. That's right. Absolutely. That's why the shark in Finding Nemo is named Bruce after the shark and Jaws. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not the only film that pays homage back to Jaws. There was a film that I love from my favorite director, Kevin Smith, called Mallrats, and the two main mm-hmm. characters are T.S. and Brody, which is Robert oh. Shaw's character's name. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Let's move along to our number nine. <sighs> this is one that uh, made me afraid of uh, everything in the garden after I saw it. <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Yeah. They come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt, and they survive. The function of all life is survival. 
When seeds drift to Earth from space, mysterious pods begin to grow and invade a small town, replicating the residents one body at a time. Mm-hmm. And we should point out, this is not the original film version of this story. There was an That's earlier right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers film. That's right. Yes. This is a remake of a 1956 film. Actually, this film is considered by many critics to be one of the best remakes in film history. Yep. Yeah. Maybe even eclipsing the original. the original. I think So what I about the Gen X grown-up critics, John? How did we score this film? Yeah, so both Mo and I gave this six points. Because we're smart. Because we know. And George, you didn't give it nary a point. No, I had better places to spend my points. Better I love places this to film. spend your money. This was an yep. HBO find for me. That was the first place I saw this film. Yeah. But I did enjoy it. Uh, one of the best scenes ever is, you know, Donald Sutherland at the end opening up his giant <laughs> mall and, you know, just screaming <laughs> at the other, at the girl mm-hmm. and her losing her mind and crying hysterically. That was and a great Jeff Goldblum scene. is in this as well. Yeah. What a great film. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this was so spooky. It was one of the first ones I remember seeing where you weren't sure if someone was who they said they were. Exactly. That's what made it, it creepy. Was, it's kind of like the, the thing later yeah. on, you know, which, mm-hmm. which is like, well, who's been replaced? Who's been replaced? And so no one trusted anybody. And it was more about the paranoia of the human psyche and who do you trust? And everyone's on edge. And I love that about this film. Well, and yeah. I love that they set it in Washington, D.C. So it was like sowing seeds of distrust in the government because that was a <laughs> big thing at that time period. In the you 70s. Know, we That's just right. come out of the 60s where everybody was rebelling against the government, the Vietnam War and all that stuff and this was a later 70s film so yeah Mo was really burning his bra that. I recall sure right <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no response or draft card I, one I or the other no whichever that. <laughs> <laughs> great film I mean iconic performances Mo does this qualify as your horror list this oh this made my list for sure okay yeah. I know you yeah. gave it votes but you know I wasn't sure if this was strictly a horror film for you because you were like qualifies Jaws definitely isn't you know? yeah, well, it has to. to me because like, again it has that whole unknown of it like you said who's the trust who's a pod person who's well, because you said like people the paranormal aspect is the thing yeah. that you wanted right yeah yep right i still remember calling people pod people your pod Mo, people. take us into our number eight why don't you at number eight a classic for sure the texas chainsaw massacre stop this is the movie that is just as real Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Two siblings and three of their friends, en route to visit their grandfather's grave in Texas, end up falling victim to a family of cannibalistic psychopaths, which could happen in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Anywhere in Texas. (laughs) And must survive the terrors of Leatherface and his family. So looking at the points on this one, now, John and me both didn't give this any points. Mm -hmm. George, you gave this a a big share of your points. You gave it 13. So why did you give it so much? I told you I had other places to spend the points (laughs) from those first two films. And I wanted to make sure Texas Chainsaw ended up on this list because when we first started the spreadsheet, neither of you had put anything down. I'm like, I'm not taking a chance. This has to make the list in some shape or form. I really think it should be much higher on the list. I think it should be in the top six, maybe, of horror films of the 70s, but I needed to spend some other points other places. I could only yes, give it yeah. an appropriate amount of points, 13. So I'm going to expose myself to some more criticism, but he's uh, never seen Texas it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another film I've never seen. Oh, Jesus. 
this. Here we go again. <laughs> Never seen. So what is it about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that makes it? I mean, I know what makes Halloween so great. I know what makes, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street so great. What is it that makes this so great? Why should I watch it? For me, the first off thing is that it's loosely based in some real events that happened in Texas before the film came out. There were some disappeared people and things like that. And there's all these rumors and stories going around. And I remember specifically in the 70s, I didn't get to watch the film until the 80s when I was a little bit older. But mm -hmm. in the 70s, I remember remember people talking about you have to go watch this texas chainsaw massacre it really happened everything really happened this was back before <laughs> like people could use the internet to research things so to verify that it didn't happen yeah like five of my friends say this really happened so it must have really happened this way now of course it didn't happen exactly the way the film portrayed it but they had some inspirations from real life events that helped create this film and it was just one of those great like the cinematic film noir i don't know how to describe it just it felt like one of those things you might watch if you went to driver's Ed in the late 70s or early 80s <laughs> blood on the highway kind of film oh, that stuff. gritty kind of like yeah. hyper realistic stuff okay all right I'm not saying the acting was great I'm not saying the directing was great I'm not saying anything other than the fact that it just <laughs> grabbed a hold of me at a early age in my life that really it was the film that really started me down the road of appreciation for horror films okay right. so it's made our list at number eight yep so what's number seven well mo number seven is one that i think john and i appreciated i'm not so sure you did and we'll talk about that when we get to the points <laughs> yeah it is the 1979 classic the amityville horror that's right mm. james brolin margot kidder rod steiger in the amityville horror house where a mass murder was committed years before and experienced strange manifestations which drive them away. But not soon enough. Now why they stayed that house for so long, <laughs> I don't get. I mean, this did star Thanos's father, James Brolin, yes. and Margot Kidder from Superman fame. Rod Steiger was also in this film. It had a huge amount of awesome talent along with this. And at the time of its release, the film was one of the highest grossing independent films of all time. Yeah, and it was uh, based on a true story, apparently. Apparently, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as opposed, much like with, with like air quotes around Chainsaw it. Was. Yeah. Yep. Well, this one though, I mean, Amityville is in New York, and so it's like the house that they said was. I mean, that house exists. So I don't understand if this is a New York-based horror story based on a true story. How John gave this film ten points, I threw it four, <laughs> but you gave it none, Mo. How is that possible? Because you guys gave it fourteen points. I didn't have to. <laughs> you let us do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. So absolutely. do you think this one is not worthy, or you just were saving your points? Oh, I, I was saving my points. Obviously, this okay. was this is a classic. It was like one of the first of its type of horror movie. Mm -hmm. I think it was pretty groundbreaking. I mean, it was a, a really good movie that I just wanted to spend my points elsewhere. Yeah, I loved a ton of points on it because it was one that, again, I remember watching in the uh, early, it came out in 79, so I saw it in the early 80s probably. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is, I don't know how to describe it, just the house, the windows, mm -hmm. the, the tone. It looked like a face. The, the house looked the like attitude. a face almost. It, it, yeah. The house is, everything about it is a little unnerving.
moving in a way yeah. that just really sets the scene. It's like it's almost like for me they could do no wrong once they had set the you know based on a true story. Right. House looks creepy. The family you know is, weird things are happening. You Walls know, the pig floating outside. Noises, oh yeah, you know, yeah, just fantastic. This was probably one of the first movies I saw, and I didn't see when it first came out. I saw it just after, but it where you're never comfortable in this movie. Ever. Exactly no. right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Once you get going, other movies have some parts where it's like okay, who you could breathe. This one you just felt that tension throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And you know, in large part, it happened. And again, no internet to verify it. But in many cases, <laughs> this one is much more based on reality than your Chainsaw Massacre. And sure. that makes yeah. it all the more unnerving. Ooh. You know, it's had a lot of like hype and urban legends and myths going around about the house and the movie and how they've done other movies since then and weird things happening. Like it's one of those films that, you know, just weird stuff happens all around this film and the story and everything. And it's very creepy. It's a perfect horror film. Yeah. And a great way to round out number seven on our top 10 list. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. So we've been 10 through seven before we get to number six to avoid too much fisticuffs. <laughs> uh, we, we decided that each of us could pick a couple of honorable mentions that weren't like great enough to make the top 10, but were special to us for one reason or the other. So let me start with you, George. What is your first honorable mention that did not make our top 10? Yeah, this is another one of my HBO finds in the early 80s. This film is Phantasm from 1979. Oh, yeah. mm. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? I'll give the synopsis, but there's only really one thing that you need to know about the film. But the synopsis is, a teenage boy and his friends face off against the mysterious grave robber known only as the tall man who keeps a lethal arsenal of terrible weapons with him. Those terrible weapons? Flying metal spheres that have knives sticking out of them. The best killing device in all of film history. I don't care about your machetes, your hockey sticks. I don't care. It was a super creative, a super original Mm -hmm. movie. It just wasn't that good a movie, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's not a great <laughs> film. I'll give you that. But I remember all we talked about were those flying spheres and yep, like the flying spheres. spiking into the head and drilling into the head. And, and it became one of those cult classics because they did like three or four sequels to they the kept Phantasm going. original film. Oh, yeah. With different know. flying spheres. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I went to the movie gallery, that's you would see that chrome ball with the knives sticking mm, out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and Phantasm. The guy, yeah, Phantasm. Like, his palm, it was hovering above his palm as he was standing yep. by. I do want to point out that this film was the inspiration for one of the greatest wrestling characters of all time, The Undertaker. Really? Is that right? Yes, really? absolutely. I did not know that. That's where he got the inspiration for, for doing that character was from Phantasm. So, okay, okay. John, I'm really curious to know what your honorable mention is. So my first honorable mention is a 1975 film. It's an anthology film called Trilogy of Terror. Well, that doesn't, you can't do that. That's cheating. You don't get three films in one honorable mention. It, wait a minute, That's wait a minute. Right. George is telling me I can't I know, pick really? three together? Jeez. <laughs> The king of bundles can't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Trilogy of Terror was a single film that had three kind of like, like, uh, 
kind of uh, Twilight Zoney little short films in it, or creep show little short films. Three bizarre horror stories, all of which star Karen Black in four different roles playing tormented women. Oh, and what okay. I like most about this film is the, the third of the three has this, you know, there's no such thing as a bad puppet movie as this <laughs> little puppet. And, and the whole premise was that this guy travels a lot and brought back this little Zuni warrior to his wife as this thing. And the rule was don't take it out of its box or do anything with it. And it has this necklace. Does. And she takes the necklace off and wears it as a bracelet. Oh, and Lord. the puppet comes to life and is chasing her around the apartment. And it's of just, course. It's terrible. The bracelet is fantastic. like a homing beacon for the, for the little figure. <laughs> oh, it's it's spectacular. It's stupid. I mean, his head looks like a tennis ball that's like cut zigzag like a jack-o'-lantern. It's just really bad. <laughs> you know, I read some trivia that during production that like the parts of the doll kept falling off because he's, you know, shaking like crazy. And none of that matters. Trilogy of Terror is one that I'll always remember as a lot of fun to watch because of that just crazy doll that is chasing this woman and terrorizing her around her apartment. Okay. Mo, what is, uh, what's your honorable mention? <laughs> My honorable mention is a movie that came out in 1977 called The Sentinel. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. This one I, I haven't. don't know. There is evil. Evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, Warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. It was, it was a really good movie. Now, the reason why it's on my list is not just because of that, but because it was an HBO movie that I saw that my brothers let me watch when my parents were out that gave me such freaking nightmares, and my dad got so pissed off at him. That's the best kind of horror movie when your older oh, yeah. siblings terrorize you with oh, it. That's they the they best totally guy. knew what they were doing, too, those bastards. <laughs> Basically, the premise is a young woman moves to an apartment in a building which houses a sinister evil, but she moves to a brownstone, and it's like one of these really creepy movies because when she moves into the house, all these weird things happen like she has arguments with her neighbors so she complains to the landlady or the, per the real estate agent and the real estate agent's like uh only two apartments are occupied ah. oh oh hello <laughs> yeah exactly one of those things and she's like what do you mean says, yeah you and the blind priest upstairs the call is coming from inside the house <laughs> exactly and then just it, the movie just kind of progressively gets weirder and weirder and it has a really great payoff because you find out that the house is actually like a it's a gateway to hell essentially uh, a portal device Right, you. and the priest is there keeping things inside, like keeping things from escaping. No, oh, he's like the he's the gatekeeper, like a guardian, he's monitoring, yeah. make sure he's keeping it sealed. Yeah, right. Spoiler alert. Yeah, it's okay. This movie came out <laughs> in 1977. <laughs> I think we're okay. We're yeah. well beyond the spoiler range. I mean, the movie had a lot of problems, but again, it's just I still have very, I guess I call them fond memories. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly <laughs> that's the right word, but it brings back a lot of good memories, I guess, of growing up and having that initial terror as a kid. Mm, okay. All right, so we got some honorable mentions out of the way. Let's move on then to our number six pick for top yes. 10 horror movies of 1970. And yeah. This one is based on a Stephen King novel. The first actually film ever to be based on a Stephen King novel, Carrie from 1976. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of them. Free Carrie! Free 
Yeah. Carrie yeah. White, a shy, friendless teenage girl who is girl sheltered by her domineering religious mother, unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at the senior prom. Mm. <laughs> well, in case so, you're so, wondering, Jordan's yeah. put no points on this one. <laughs> I give it nine points. Mo gave it six. Yeah. Hit right in the middle of the chart. Hit number six on our list. Let's start with you and I, Mo, and then we'll yeah. find out why George <laughs> yawns at it. Let's yeah. just keep the other guy out. We don't need his dissenting opinion. No, we, we want to hear your incorrect opinions in a second. Just stand with <laughs> yes, us. Yes. We're okay. We'll find out why you're wrong later. The scene in the prom is, you know, one that is just, whenever you see somebody t- doing a, like a, a reel of horror movies, you see Carrie covered in the pig's blood at the yeah. at the prom. There's been a remake of Carrie that came out like in, I don't know, 2012. Over 13. Yeah. It was okay. Uh, but this is Sissy Spacek that played the role of Carrie. Was that it I John Travolta in this? Fantastic job. Yes. John Travolta he was. was the jock yes. who brought oh, yeah. the pig. Okay. He killed the yeah. pig and like got the uh got the That's blood. right. Yeah, yeah. It's one that I can rewatch. It still holds up today. I think in large part that's based on the source material from Stephen King. So Mo, why did you put six points of your precious 60 on it? Because I liked this movie just because it, it was all built up to the end, right? Because nothing really, I mean, little weird things happen here or there but the terror really was the terror she was afflicted. That was afflicted It was psychological. Her. Even though she had telekinesis, right. the big things didn't happen. Right, that's true. And it was all like her mom and how her mom basically just mentally tortured her all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, and it all built up because you, you saw little things. You knew something was going to happen. Something was going to happen. And then at the end with the pig's blood, it just and all By God, it loose. did. <laughs> and it, oh my God. So to me, it was just all built up for a great ending. So George, why did this not, weren't any points for you? Have you seen it? How do you feel about it? I have it? seen it a okay. couple of times. I've, I watched it. It originally it was another HBO film because you know it was in uh, you found there it was a seventy six and I was like five years old so there was no way I was getting to see it then mm-hmm. uh, I think the only film on this list that I got to see when I was super young was Jaws my parents wanted to go see that so they took me as like a three or four year old to go see that film but yeah. enjoy yeah, he's, 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 he's yet to go to the beach <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> now it just so for me this film was trying to be two different films and it didn't do either of them well for me uh, the first one was the psychological terror uh, where the mother is torturing the daughter, right? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, trying to like do a mommy that film in the first half of it. My, mommy Dearest. Misery was probably my favorite example of that genre, right? Okay. I right. loved Misery. And then it tried to do this whole girl getting telekinetic powers and seeking revenge on those around her thing. And it didn't make me feel scared terrified for her in the first half and it didn't make me feel happy for her getting revenge in the second half. There was just not enough substance there. Don't get me wrong. Sissy Spacek, completely top of the line actress. Stephen King, one of my favorite writers of all time. I just don't think they did a really good job with the adaptation of this book. I did enjoy the book, but I never liked the film. Actually, I have another reason why I had this on my list is when I was in college, way back in the day, horse-drawn carriages, and my fraternity, one of the little sisters in my fraternity was uh, Stephen King's niece. And guess what her name is? Carrie? <laughs> yes. Is her name Carrie? Yeah, her name, uh, her is, name Carrie. is Carrie. <laughs> and it was said, don't mess with Carrie, whatever you do. <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house again. <laughs> Carrie's going to round out half of our list. The top five is coming up right after this. Get the big taste of Wessler's hot dogs. Bite. After bite. After bite, big tasting Westlers. Get them where you see this brand. 
Okay, now we're at the top five. So now we're getting some serious stuff here. And yep. at number five is appropriately named Halloween. 1978. The namesake of the best holiday for horror. <laughs> Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. <laughs> Michael? Halloween. 15 years after murdering the sister on Halloween night in 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. <laughs> and now for this one, John heavily weighed this one with 15 points. Yes, George I did. George gave it a moderate amount of points with seven. That's I fair. gave yeah. it zero because these guys gave it so many points I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. So, again, we're doing the heavy lifting for you, Mo. Don't yes, worry, you we got you totally, covered. You're totally doing the heavy lifting for me. I honestly think you should have given this one a few points because this one really deserves to be in the top three of 1970 horror films. So I think that that's a mistake on our part. I don't think number five is a high enough position on the list for it. I don't know. The, the ones that come after it are pretty damn good. Though. Number one, it's a John Carpenter film. John Carpenter is one of the legends of cult filmmaking. He was awesome in his day in the 70s and 80s. And then on top of that, this film, Escape from New the York. tropes, oh, right, yeah, Escape from New York, <laughs> he's done a billion of them. But this film, it's become one of the tropes that has been used in countless other horror films since mm -hmm. it was released. They did it first. They did it best. Yeah the, yeah. yeah. the menacing, silent stalker kind of thing. Just Michael Myers is the epitome of that. Yeah. I oh, mean, absolutely. even now we were just talking recently on one of our podcasts about American Horror Story 1984. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the main characters is solely based on Michael Myers. He's an escaped oh, mental sure. patient who comes to a camp to kill a bunch of kids. I mean, it's like they took Jason and Michael Myers and merged them into one thing. It, and there's a reason why they use that because everybody loves that storytelling style. Yeah, and I think that as a from the movie standpoint, I mean, I think it's pretty appropriate in our list personally because it, while it's a great movie, it was pretty straightforward, right? Crazy guy. No, killing. I don't think it was straightforward at all. I think it was like super no. psychological and nuanced and it, it was a slasher film that had like a brain to it. There was something going on. And that was the one thing I loved about it. They actually had Jamie Lee Curtis running from house to house and there were moments where yeah. you saw him and then she looked back and he was gone. So the, the viewer was a person who got a first look before the participant in the film did. I thought that was a very new style. Like going back and looking at films now, you didn't see that as often. Like you would see, you know, a creep creeping up behind a person that the audience would get to see before they would turn around. But us seeing the person and then them disappearing and not harming the person in that scene, that was kind of unique to that film at the time. I have to admit, I have not seen this movie in, geez, I can't remember the last time I watched it. But after hearing you guys, I think I need to rewatch it again. I think it's about time. Need a refresher. Yeah. You know, I can also while. tell you this it's was the beginning of my infatuation with Jamie Lee Curtis that carried over mm. into Trading Places and True Lies that are all pay off for that initial infatuation that oh, I was. Is that developed. why you have that giant post server? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one? Yeah, no, no question. I, I, a little bit that I read is that the story is uh, based on experience John Carpenter had in college when he toured a psychiatric hospital. He mm -hmm. met a child who stared at him with a look of evil and it terrified him. Well, all yeah. kids are kind of terrifying when you think about that, but yeah. <laughs> We must know different kids. <laughs> this is one of those that John Carpenter scored as well. And the score from this film is one of those things that just you hear it and you're in that film, right? You're there. It's that engrossing. 
That's why I think 1970s horror films, this has to be in the top three. Unfortunately, it didn't make it there for us because somebody didn't want to spend some points, but <laughs> that's okay. I, I think it's I think it landed square where it belongs. <laughs> Let's work our way on up the list and see what did make those top three. So we're up to number four, George. What hit the market number four? Well, I'm kind of sad because you said that did make the top three. This one, again, in my opinion, should have been in the top three and didn't quite make it there. We're talking about the Romero classic from 1978, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. This is the second film in the Of Dead trilogy. Uh-huh. In my opinion, it was my favorite of the three because... I would agree. Yep. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. I love the first film. Don't get me wrong. The first film is great, especially considering what he had to work with at the time, right? Yeah. His budget yeah. was like a Kevin Smith, here's my credit card kind of budget when he yeah, did that Yeah, for sure. He got more money to do Dawn of the Dead, obviously, and it was so well received that it's had a reboot, a remake, sequels, oh, everything. He started the whole zombie thing. I mean... Oh, yeah. Romero is credit as the zombie film creator. No question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the points. I gave it, understandably, 14 points, a large mm-hmm. portion of my 60. Mo, you gave it two. John, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Zero? Really? <laughs> Come on, man. This is my favorite of the Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, kind of like series of films, but I'm not a huge fan of those films. Oh, so for me, man. it wasn't in my top. I acknowledge it's the best of that group and I enjoy it. It doesn't even register in my top 10 films, quite honestly. So that's why wow. I didn't put any points on it. All right, well, okay. you know, I, I hate that Not you're, a big zombie guy. Not a big I, zombie guy. You know, guy. I hate that you're messing up that bad on your own podcast. That's okay. <laughs> But golly, following an ever growing epidemic of zombies that have risen from the dead, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter and his television executive (laughs) girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. And everybody knows that Romero was trying to speak to our consumerism that was growing at the time and how we were becoming sheep and zombies. And that's been discussed a million different places. So I'm not going to go into it here, but it was so smart the way that he did it. It was able to... uh, allow people to approach it from a level of this doesn't have to have a deep meaning, but it still could hit you in but a it fun did kind way of have that would make one. you think yeah, later. Yeah. And I know people still visit that mall specifically just make mm-hmm. a pilgrimage because that's where they shot it because that mall yeah. is still standing. Yep. Yeah. And another Kevin Smith tie-in, the Monroeville Zombies, the hockey team in one of his films. Monroeville is where that mall was talked to, you know, the filming and all that stuff. So all there in Pittsburgh. So yeah, actually I've been to that mall. This backtrack sponsored by Kevin Smith. Yeah. No, I, I went to college in Pittsburgh. So yeah, we went to that mall. George Romero, one of the classic horror storytellers of all time. Let's go ahead and move into the slightly diluted top three Gen X grown up horror films in the 1970s. I, I, oh, I, I, I think, think, I think these three, I think the these top three, three is perfect. There. Yeah, I think so. There's too. finally a little, a little bit of consensus starts to form in this top two or three, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, Number three, 1976, Spawn of Satan himself, The Omen, Damien. Yes. Yeah, good film. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, 
something terrible happened. Yeah, mysterious deaths around an American ambassador. Could the child that he is raising actually be the Antichrist, the mm-hmm. devil's own son? <laughs> hmm. Yes, he could be. He totally could be. Yeah. This spawned so many sequels. It's just, so look at the points real quick. So I gave it five points. Mo gave it nine. George gave it three. We all put points on this. We all recognize The Omen as one of these top films of the 70s horror. Yeah. The, the thing that creeped me out most about The Omen was the pictures where you see like how the person was going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I thought was like, oh my God, like why is there a red line through this person? And yeah. oh. oh, you'll find out shortly. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's okay. <laughs> and seeing some of the deaths on screen where before that you were used to deaths happening kind of off screen, right? Yeah. That was oh, really was full on. strong for a young person to see. Uh, my brother had a book on special effects in movies and they had a whole section about the plate glass cutting off the guy's head mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they did that yeah. and had to, had to have tumbling and I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I definitely remember like the nanny standing up on the uh, the balcony up at the top That's screaming, the one I remember this the most, is for yeah. you, Damien! Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, whoa, it's it's so impactful. It's just You talked about how, you know, kids can be creepy just it like you know, exactly. when Carpenter went and saw that kid and the, the actor who played this, Harvey Steele, Stevens, I think, was his name. Little boy's name. Gregory okay, Peck okay. was in this. Gregory Peck was basically retired. And they brought him out of retirement for this role. Wow. You know, they, yeah. they could have left him retired. He didn't really add a whole lot to that film for me. I really didn't like his He brought a little bit of, like, dignity to the film. Yeah. Like, he, credibility. I mean, he you could see him as a super wealthy ambassador. And credibility, but, I mean, his performance, I honestly felt like there were people who might have done a better job for it. He wasn't I would a scene have loved stealer. to have seen yeah. Donald Sutherland in that role during that era. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the the film's ad campaign warned citizens take special note of any odd occurrences happening around you. So they were already they were <laughs> building up the creepy before you ever got yeah. to the theater. And I, I, I'd love the Elvis. All right, yeah. Mo, take us into the number two. Our okay. list. Number two. Again, another one that we all gave points to, which is The Exorcist, 1973. Oh, okay. 1973. <laughs> Somewhere between science and superstition. There is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. When a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. I mean, this movie, I mean, one, again, creepy kid. Let's mm-hmm. stick with that whole theme. So right there, you and just the idea is like, because it, I guess the movie really strove to almost make it seem like this could actually happen or this has happened. Like it was, it was trying to make everything very real, even to the point where like the priest is in there and he's like, oh yeah, he sprayed her with water and she's like, it burns. And then he says, oh, it's just tap water. It wasn't like, is, is she really? really crazy, you know, like the whole wondering what's going on thing. So how did the point span look on this one, the way we filled out the sheet? Well, I can tell you, I mean, I gave it the most points with nine. George, close second with seven, and you gave it four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody so gave it some points. A good spread. Yeah. So I have George, a story. So put off. No, no, I have a story about this film because, so I didn't see The Exorcist when it first came out, obviously, 1973. No, yeah. 73. Not right. really in the lexicon of a two-year-old at that point. However,
whatever. I did get to see it a number of years later. I believe it was 1983 or 84. Uh, my parents and I, we lived on a farm out in the middle of nowhere, about 15 miles outside of town. It was like a 10 acre farm. I was at that age where I could kind of watch myself, you know, I didn't need mm -hmm. to have a babysitter and everything. So my parents were going away on a weekend trip and they said, oh, hey, if you mistake. want, you can stay at home. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so my mom said, well, we're going to Publix. Right next door is the video store. We can rent you some videos that you can watch, you know, at the oh, house boy. while you're there. We get you some, you know, snacks and stuff that you can eat. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much that now I get a vacation from the parents. So for years, I had wanted to see The Exorcist. My friends were even talking about it at this time of school. They had The Exorcist there. So I rented it and a few other films. That weekend was the <laughs> weekend of a major tropical storm coming through Florida. Oh, man. I was by oh. myself in this All old, windows rattling, creepy farmhouse, <laughs> watching The Exorcist. I could not finish it. It's the first and only film that I was not able to finish on its initial viewing mm -mm. because mm -mm. it terrified me so much. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to stop watching it. Linda Blair's performance in this oh, film this, yeah. is arguably one of the top five horror film performances of all time. I mean, I'm not, I don't know how much of a career she had afterwards. Like I know there was an Exorcist 2 that she was involved in and she was known for this role throughout her whole career. Maybe she got typecast. She did big time. this film, if this was the only thing I had on my credit list, I would probably be ecstatic, especially considering how well she did in it. Mm -hmm. She's the entire reason why today I am 48 years old and still have a hard time watching that film. <laughs> wow. They said that original teaser trailer for it, but they didn't have any footage was just a face of a demon flashing. And it was oh, banned really? in a lot of theaters because it was too frightening for the general public <laughs> to, for a trailer, a <laughs> teaser trailer. That was before anybody saw all the chaos that was happening in the film. Ooh. And they just, they amped it up. Yeah. Exorcist well-deserved number two spot yes. on our top 10 list. Number one is coming up. We have a few more honorable mentions and you will find out what our top pick is for the 1970s horror films right after this. May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke, seating areas on the right-hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated. We're down to number one before we reveal what our top pick is for the best 1970s era horror film. We have a few more honorable mentions. We each picked one more that we wish had made the list or we wish we'd have put some more points on. But we just couldn't spare it. So let's start with you, Mo. What was your second honorable mention? Okay, so the movie I picked, I think, definitely deserved not to be in the top 10 list, but it's just a movie that's... <laughs> <laughs> then we... Well done. Yeah, but it's a movie that is near and dear to me because I just love this movie. It's The Duel, first movie by Steven Spears. Gilbert, 1971. Oh, wow. Great year. <laughs> uh, get, 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 get back in the bus, please. Please, come on. Come on, back in the bus. A business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer. Yeah. And it just starts off as one of these, it's, it's, it's not a big, it's like actually it's only one actor, I think, in the whole movie. And he's driving and he sees his tractor trailer. He cuts him off and they get into like kind of a little road rage thing, but cutting each other off. And then for the rest of the movie, this truck is pursuing it. Stalking him, right. Stalking yeah, him. Yeah. And you never see the truck driver. You just see the truck. The windows are like shaded. You can't really see the driver. That's right. Also based on a Stephen King short story, right? Oh, was I was going to say, I Stephen King likes that kind 
kind of stuff because yeah, he, he yep. had Christine the car. Yep. Yeah, that's right. He likes turning inanimate objects on people. Right. And this wasn't like, you know, a demon. Tr- it was just like one of these, wow, this could actually kind of happen. But it becomes like this fight between this businessman on a cross-country trip and this truck driver or this yeah. truck We've rather. seen these kind of films since then. So obviously it was well-received enough that other people decided to make their own. We've seen The Hitcher, The Hitchhiker. Yeah. All these different films where, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, an unfamiliar road or territory, and somebody's hunting you down by yep. means of some creepy mm-hmm. looking vehicle. So this one's a I can big see why this would be one of your honorable mentions. Oh, for sure. How about you, George? What's one of yours? Well, uh, mine goes a little bit toward the Jaws side of things. It's water-based. However, it's completely terrible compared to Jaws. And that is Piranha <laughs> from 1978. Oh, oh, yes. Who could have imagined they were there? Who could have predicted they would attack? And now, who would survive? Your Honor, they're here. Your Honor, they're hungry. They can strip a cow down to bones in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It was terribly yeah, shot. It was terribly acted. But there was yeah. just something that still to this day sticks with me about seeing all those little, you know, small fish, you know, just quickly running back and forth and tearing apart a bone and a person, you know, twirling in the water yes. and screaming yeah. and blood oh, yeah. bubbling up around them, you know. And none of that's true. Piranha would never do that yeah. in that way. But but you definitely still. get the impression that they were trying to like, okay, how can we capitalize on this Jaws thing? You know, it's oh, almost sure. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that's a like, fish. Right. Go. Jaws was really big a couple of years ago, guys. How can yeah. we do something on the same thing? Well, we'll take the fish and we'll shrink it down to the size of a quarter, and then we'll put five million of them in a lake and have them go upstream in a river. And there were sequels to this, believe it or not. There was Piranha oh, yeah. Two, Piranha Three oh, yeah. D. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I remember the three D especially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a blue and red three D. It was terrible. Ugh. Yeah, but you know, essentially, flesh eating piranha are accidentally released into a summer resort rivers and the guests become their next meal that's the whole synopsis of you every product really to film. see the film you can <laughs> right. just listen to that synopsis and you're good but it was what it was and it deserved to be mentioned because of all the bad films that happened in the 70s this was one of the not as bad <laughs> no it deserves a place on the list i'm not sure what list but it deserves a place on the list right yeah some list somewhere <laughs> yeah how about the honorable mention place john that's what about perfect. you have you got another honorable mention to share with us you bet i do and you can Bet your bottom dollar it's a puppet movie. I figured. Oh, damn it. I figured. <laughs> Left that alone. <laughs> 1978 film called Magic. Oh, yeah. Abracadabra, I sit on his knee. Presto, change and now he is me. Hocus pocus, we take her to bed. Magic is free. We're dead. Josephine Levine presents Magic. A terrifying love story. I am a sucker for ventriloquist dummy movies, and this was a great one. (laughs) He's the guy. He's the one guy who was a sucker for those movies. Oh my god! (laughs) Anthony Hopkins plays a ventriloquist who's at the mercy of his vicious dummy while he tries to renew a romance with his high school sweetheart. Directed by Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Margaret Burgess Meredith are in it, and I just I remember this. It's so. How did they have all those good people in it to make such a terrible movie? 
movie about puppets. But it's, I mean, it's, it's not, not a terrible, terrible movie. movie. Yeah, it's a good it's movie. About puppets. That makes it a terrible movie. <laughs> that that right makes it bat. definitively great. That's how you can tell before you turn it on. <laughs> Ventriloquist dummies are so creepy anyway, just inherently. Yes, I mean, they, they look like they could come alive at any moment. Like clowns. And this one was super creepy. I mean, he was his exaggerated features. It reminds me of like the Annabelle puppet from the Annabelle series. Yeah. It's that kind of like overpainted, overexpressioned. The, the Ventriloquist puppet was called Fats. That was his name, the, the uh-huh. character's name. When he saw Fats for the first time, Anthony Hopkins was allowed to take the doll home to work with. He got so freaked out by it, he called the consulting ventriloquist in the middle of the night, threatening to throw it in the canyon if somebody didn't come pick it up. <laughs> wow. So yeah. question, I haven't seen this movie in like forever. So it was also part of this that you weren't sure if the doll was actually talking or whether the guy was just crazy. Or was he losing his mind? Right. Was he yeah. just going insane? Yeah. And I think if you don't remember seeing it, you just need to see it again. Because to talk about that, George, it sounds to me like you haven't seen Magic. I have you not ought seen to. It. You absolutely. Uh, you know it's a puppet movie, so you're going in on the right foot already. I, <laughs> so. I, I, don't, I don't know if you, I don't think you could break my foot and make me go watch a puppet movie from the uh, 1970s. But it's got Anthony Hopkins. Come on. So Magic, 1978. That's my honorable mention. All right, we've made it. The Woo! number one top horror film from the 1970s. We reserve this for distinguished moment for you, George. Let yes. the fourth listeners know. All right, well, first, before I name the film, I'm going to give you our scores. John, you gave this film six points. Yep. A moderate, meager sum. I don't really... It's plenty. <laughs> I think seven points would have been more appropriate, which is what I gave it. Is that what you did? Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> if only I could have stepped up to your level. Mo finally came around and broke into the double digits with his point giving and gave yep. it 10 points. Yeah, oh yeah. And that is the 1979 sci-fi horror classic Alien. Damn straight. There is no better film of the 1970s in the horror genre than Alien. In space, no one can hear you scream. Anybody hasn't ever seen the film or any of its billion sequels and reboots and whatnot (laughs) that have happened, video games and Predator versus blah, blah, blah. After a space merchant vessel perceives an unknown transmission as a distress call, its landing on the source moon finds one of the crew attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. Directed Ooh, by Ridley Street. Scott, Ridley Scott. Uh. starring in probably the first main vehicle for Sigourney Weaver. Yep. Tom Skerritt was a big part oh, of this. Amazing. Of course, yep. yeah. John Hurt has one of oh, the yeah. best moments in horror oh. film history. Yeah, I totally agree with you, George. I mean, on everything you've said, the, the thing with this movie is I actually saw it when it released, like that year. Wow. Now, I was 12 or so when it came out. That's good parenting. My, no, actually, <laughs> it's good brothering because oh, my okay. brother got yeah, sick I of see. seeing Star Wars again. Yeah, over and over and over again. So he picked the movie and I saw the entire movie through my fingers. I mean, I was mm. terrified. <laughs> and then when the alien jumps it's out. It's like you had your own little face hugger on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> when the face hugger jumps out at him. I still oh. remember that when he jumped out, you could literally see the entire theater went like <gasps> up and down. Like everyone jumped yeah. in their seat and came jumped. back down. Yeah, nobody mm-hmm. expected that. And you yeah. should have. The whole build up to that scene <laughs> now 
nowadays, <laughs> you should have known. Like, oh, you should have known better. Jump out at him. But back then, you had yeah, no you clue. Now, I saw this film as a middle school student. I think I was in seventh grade. I rented or checked out a projector from our local public library, and this film on a film reel, I forget what millimeter it was, you know, the ones you could oh, check Oh, wow, out. like on film film. Wow. Yeah, on film film. And me and two other friends of mine in middle school watched it in our classroom after school one day. Oh, crap. <laughs> and that was so much fun. I loved it oh, from yeah. that moment forward. I made sure every time there was a new release, like a videotape or a 20th anniversary thing or whatever, I Give always picked up Alien. I mean, it is it is on our list as number one for a reason, because it is the best horror film of that era. Yeah. Hands down. I, I don't care. No disagreement for me. Yeah, I think it arguably has one of the best monsters ever created yeah hr geiger design a creepy thing who was only on screen for a few minutes of the yeah. entire film right yeah and he doesn't even show up until like like an Toward hour the into the movie yeah. you didn't see the monster yeah. it's yeah, amazing you see, you see yeah. little glimpses little pieces but not hardly anything yeah right the first time you actually get like half a frame of him is when he's chasing dallas down in yeah. the little vents right yeah. and dallas turns and there's that light flash and you see him reaching out and then after that the next time you see him is against sigourney in the shuttlecraft and you promptly yeah. shit yourself that's what yeah. happens Yes. at that point of the film that's exactly <laughs> i think for me some of the best things were just like when they were they're tracking it and they're telling dallas you know he's he's it's getting coming. closer and those beep beep beeps of the sensor and yeah. everything mm-hmm. man just and then it starts really going fast towards them and they're like yelling and he's like go and he's like which way like you know he yeah. doesn't know which way to go and oh and do yes. we even need to talk about ridley scott's decision for the dinner scene to not tell the other cast members what was really going to happen and then keep that in the original film well actually they did know it turns out I just watched a documentary on the making of Alien and they interviewed Ooh. the actors they knew something was going to come out of his chest what they didn't realize was they just didn't know they what they didn't know how much blood was going to be used right because they exactly. thought it'd be just like a little bit of blood that he, they didn't know that blood would be literally spraying everywhere <laughs> and there's yeah. this part where one of the actors actually like is like screaming and falling back and falls over a bench or stuff mm-hmm. that was totally unplanned she had no right. idea they left it in yeah it was the, that one girl who's standing there the crew yeah. member and she's just like she's shuddering and screaming and her hands yeah. are flailing yeah. like yep that's that's natural reaction to this shit that just went down i remember what she said line for line she was like oh my god oh my god <laughs> and it was like you wouldn't expect that in a sci-fi film but it was perfect that was ad that moment that was ad yeah. perfect yeah <laughs> and also how can you forget like the other evil which like the only real evil was the android actually right the monster was doing his monster right, yeah thing. the alien was just being alien that's right. all he ever is he was it's just a like, monster yep he was just eating. like the old chris rock joke when he talks about you know the people getting bitten at the zoo by the tiger he's like that tiger wasn't crazy he was just a tiger that's all there is to it that's yeah that's right the medical android doctor and that sets up the storyline of the second film which was another great horror film of the 1980s well and i would argue the android is not even evil it's the corporation that's evil the program the android yeah sure yeah again probably he's just being an android he's just doing what he's supposed to do he's not malevolent (laughs) you know what i mean yep and all all of it comes together to create just this perfect snapshot of just what cool 70s horror can be and ultimately coalesced into a great film alien in 1979 that's why it is our number one number one top horror film of the 1970s that's just a sample of the films to come you can't please all the people all the time but we hope we'll please most of you most of the time anyway see you soon 
If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy, plus you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. Thank you for uh, surviving through this argument that got us <laughs> ultimately to our top 10 horror movies of the 1970s as arrived at by the Gen X Grown Up crew. We appreciate you being here with us. We also very much appreciate all of the wonderful patrons who support us over on Patreon. These are all folks that spend just a few dollars a month to help keep the lights on, everything we do here on the podcast, YouTube, and over on the website. And who am I talking about? Well, of course, it's Dan, Chad, Corey, Stee, and Mike, Agile, Stewart, Blasted, or Stash, Dana, Marcus, Levi, T2, Will, Slowmo, Thomas, Greg L., and Greg Z. Woo-hoo. We so much appreciate you. If you would like to join them in supporting Gen X Grown Up, just head over to patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. We will be back in two weeks with another edition of The Backtrack and next week with a regular episode of the show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I always appreciate you. Always fun, then. And fourth listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown-Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Welcome back, Gen X. I'm trying to see the vampire. I can't do it. I will. I will, I will achieve this. Then you can. Then you can. Blah, make fun blah. Of me. I want to if make I, this podcast. Four, three. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up. I cannot say Gen X Grown Up, but I'm a vampire. Gen X Grown Up. Okay, I'm gonna give it one more try, and then I'm not gonna do it. In five, four, three. Maybe. First segment in five, four, three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we're off to That's, a great start. It's, it's a, well, I was, I was trying to figure how I was going to. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. In five, four, three. Lance Henriksen is in it. Just uh, Lance Henriksen is not in this. Oh, film. he was in the second one, wasn't he? It wasn't. First okay. One. Yeah. Is that so right? there we go. John's really a big fan of Alien. <laughs> wait, wait. John, you well, have seen it, this, right? Did he not show up till the second one? He was in the second one. He okay. was the. Yep. Yeah, no. Because yeah. he's been in like all of them since then. Yes. Yeah. Because he's been the robot yes. and everything else. Yeah. Whoops, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.